So, with that said, the best thing for us to do is to dive right in. We are in chapter 11, which means we have one more, and I'm still not telling you. I'm still not telling you because I am like that. So, application for Solomon continues, and it is working through all the areas of life. Now, this is a fun chapter because despite its brevity, we have some really simplistic stuff, and I am completely not kidding about that, and we have some really complicated stuff. Luckily for us, he puts the complicated stuff first, so we get to use up all what little brain power we have this morning on getting through that, and then when we're completely fried, we get the really, really easy stuff. So that makes simple, makes life simple. Now, why is Solomon doing this? Understanding life has been the question for humanity, regardless of whether or not you are religious, or whether you are irreligious, or whether you are anti-religious. Everybody wants to know, why am I here? What is the meaning of these things? And that is part of what Solomon is doing. The problem with that is, every group of people have questions, but if you do not start with a foundation that is God, you cannot find answers. And that's one of the reasons why I really, really like Ecclesiastes. Solomon is proving that point. He has tried to look at the world from the world's perspective. And what has he discovered? Meaningless, emptiness, vanity, hopeless. There's nothing there. So now as he's trying to tease out these things, he is stuck with that foundation from the world. And the only hope that he has is the stuff that is actually true coming back in. So, as we go through this, remember, your rest is not in the philosophy, your rest is not in the wisdom, your rest is ultimately in God. So let's make sure we cover that, and then let's dive in, shall we? Verse 1. Cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. What? <laughs> what? That, that doesn't make any sense. Stop that. <sighs> okay. I got bad news for you because I have no earthly idea either. I have found four possibilities for you because be honest, if you take your bread and you throw it out on the lake and the ducks don't eat it and you come back after many days, what will be there? Not bread. <laughs> That's not how any of this works. So what in the world is Solomon talking about? And by the way, I, again, I went through three or four different commentaries, and I found four different answers. So I will give you the four answers. You ready? Number one, this is a description of charity. This is the best part. They base this on an understanding of an Egyptian and Arabic proverb, which the reason I love this one is this is peak scholarly understandings of your Old Testament is we read this in Hebrew and then we run to Egyptian and Arabic languages to try to understand if there's anything similar. And well, lo and behold, what do you find? You find a similar proverb built into both Egyptian and Arabic ancient language that has similar understandings and they are leaning towards an understanding of why you should be charitable in this life. There's a problem with that. There's basically no evidence that the Egyptian or Arabic proverb predates this, <laughs> which means they're probably based off of this, not the other way around. So understanding them doesn't help us understand this. So, okay, there you go. Number two, Solomon is a wise, rich fellow. He cares about trade. This is business investment advice. As bread would dissolve, so you are to diversify the investments of your kingdom. Don't put all of your eggs in one basket. 
Well, I mean, I just give you. The reason this is given is there is a potential parallel in Isaiah 18.2. The problem is, if you're paralleling what Isaiah 18.2 says, this is the worst possible way to phrase it. This would be the very definition of being smarter than the room and being like, I can phrase this in such a poetic way that no one will understand what I'm talking about, which helps exactly no one. Number three, this is my personal favorite. Sometimes dumb works. And I'm serious. If you take your bread and you throw it out in the lake and you come back many days later, what are you going to find? Nothing. But sometimes, every once in a while, you might come back and see that your bread has been dispersed and you'll be able to gather it back up. <laughs> this, this, was, this was in an honest-to-goodness scholarly book written by a PhD. I'm not kidding. So the argument here is that Solomon is giving you insane advice because every once in a while, doing something dumb is good. But what's the rule? Don't do dumb things. What's the purpose of the book? To give you application in wisdom based on an understanding of life. If we are to the point where in our wisdom we have come all the way around to foolishness, then we have missed an exit ramp somewhere on wisdom, haven't we? We need to go again and start over. Do not, collect, do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Something has gone terribly wrong. Number four, this is an agricultural reference. And it's not bread. It's supposed to be seed. And the wise farmer will plant his seed or spread his seeds where there is a water source. Again, there is a partial parallel based on Isaiah 32.20. I will let you go read Isaiah 18, 2 and 32, 20. And if you go, oh yes, that is absolutely Ecclesiastes 11, 1, then you, are a, then you are a better man than I. God bless you. Enjoy yourself. So when you come back to this, there's no real satisfying answer, which is why my answer is yes. Yes. Why do I say my answer is yes? Because Solomon is trying to give you wisdom for life. I am apparently not smart enough to understand Solomon's wisdom, but I know he's not telling me to be foolish, and I know he's trying to give me some good advice that I should understand. I just can't do it, so I will just have to rest in the fact that this made perfect sense to Solomon, and I will have to go with that. Now, how you understand this verse, unfortunately, will color how you understand the next verse. So let's have fun and do the next verse, shall we? Verse 2. Divide your portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. Okay. So if I take that and I go back to verse one, then options one, two, and four are back on the table, right? Because that would be something for charity. You have a portion. You should divide it out. That would make sense for trade. You have income. You should diversify it. That would make sense if I'm, ag- if I'm dealing with agriculture. I have a lot. I should make sure I am spread out as evenly as possible. Now, no matter how I understand that, this works. I am supposed to divide my blessings in charity. Why? Because I have a higher hope than my stuff. God has blessed and I can send out because at the end of the day, I'm not resting in the riches that God has given me. I am resting in the God who is saving me. If I have trade, I should be resting in the wisdom of God and not putting all of my eggs in one basket. I should be trying to bless my kingdom and my people by ensuring as much as I can that we are not on the brink of ruin. Why? Because that is what a good ruler who fears God above his own wealth should be doing. And if I'm being an agriculturally wise 
wise farmer, then again, I should plant my seeds where they have a chance of growing. Nobody runs out to the dry desert and goes, yes, yes, this is where my tomatoes shall rest. That would be silly, and that would be an anti-wisdom stance, and it would be foolish working, which is not how work should be understood in a kingdom run by God. Now, I tell you all of that because no matter how you choose to understand this dividing of your portion or dispersing of your bread, you need to understand it as anchored in God. This is the main point that scripture would have you to go with. Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on what? Your own understanding. Instead, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Paul, I think, gives us a better summation of this as he's trying to instruct Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to, be, to, um, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is in life indeed. So yeah, apply your wisdom with an eye towards God. It's not about being rich. It's not about being wealthy. It's not about being secure. It's about being grounded and rested in God. Now, the reason I like to stop there on this is because that aligns with the rest of the book. Could we pick a nit about the agriculture? Could we pick a nit about the trade? Or we could pick nits on charity? Yes. Would we accomplish anything? No. Besides that, we got more nits to pick in a minute. So we'll get to those and we'll pick them when we get to them. Sound like fun? All right. Verse three. (laughs) If the clouds are full... They pour out rain upon the earth, and whether a tree falls towards the south or towards the north, wherever the tree falls, there it lies. Yes, thank you, Captain Obvious. Everywhere I go, there I am. (laughs) I told you we did the hard stuff first, and then you get to the really, really simple stuff. Now, I laugh about this, but a world devoid of godly foundations, a world lost in its own thinking, doesn't understand this. This is what the meaninglessness of a worldview based on anything other than God will lead you to forget. Simple, common sense. How many times have you said in the last 10, 15 years, you know, it seems like common sense is just dead. Common sense isn't very common. Well, why not? Because together they have become foolish. They have forgotten God and God has turned them over to a depraved mind. Never forget this. Be warned, we're coming around the podium. Romans 1 depravity of mind doesn't just mean they sit around all day thinking of what's like the most evil sin we can come up with. That's not the, the, the extent of the depravity of mind. It's a brokenness of mind. And I know you hear that as a Christian and go, yeah, 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 yeah. The brokenness of mind leads them to invent new sins and to be as evil and wicked as they possibly can be. That's, but that's not the only pathway. The depravity of mind is a broken thought process. You can't find the truth. It's the the ending from last week that the fool can't find the city when every road in the countryside leads where? To the city. You walk on the road, you're eventually going to get to the city, but the fool can't find it. That's the depraved mind in action. That's why you look at the world and go, look, okay, if you do this, good things will happen. If you do that, 
bad things will happen. What would you like to do? And they're like, hmm, I want that. Yeah, yeah, give me that. Mm-hmm. You know it's bad for you. Uh-huh. You know it's going to lead to destruction. Uh-huh. You know it's going to lead to corruption. Uh-huh. You still want it. Uh-huh. Th- that's the depraved mind. This is why you look out on your world and sexual sin is, prefer- is referred to as freedom and autonomy. This is why we have to make jokes about not knowing what bathroom to use. Because what should be common sense in the world is gone. Why? Because God has given them over to a depraved mind. You are looking at what happens when sin is indulged. This is the lack of common grace in the world. Why is there a lack of common grace in the world? We've removed the foundations. We've unmoored ourselves from any tradition and any restraint. You are now encouraged in the world. And look, this goes back to, I've told you this story many times. This goes back to my generation. So what month is it? I am 41 still for a little while. This goes back to me being a kid. You know what we were just overdosed on in elementary school? We were the self-esteem generation. You should feel good about yourself no matter what. Is it any wonder? Yeah, everybody's a winner, right? I I got my participation trophies from my little league. I had my fourth place trophy in my room, okay? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Why did we do that? Well, because we had lied to ourselves and said, well, if we make them feel really, really good about themselves, they'll be wonderful people in the world. No, they won't. Is it any wonder that people my age and younger are the most broken the most depressed, the most suicidal, because we've been told how wonderful and great we are, and then we enter out into the world, and who cares? Nobody cares! Because the world isn't built around you, because you know who I've built my world around in my sinful self? Me! And you know who everybody else built their sinful worlds around in their sinful selves? Them! So when I intrude upon their exalted majesty, they don't have any time for me, and I don't have any time for them, because that's how sin works. But I've been told how wonderful I am my entire life, so now when I enter into your exalted majesty, and you don't recognize my exalted majesty, well, now I have the sads. And that's how humanity gets broken down, day by day. And sin, and, the, and Satan sit back and giggle. Because what have we done? We have fallen into the temptation. We have fallen into the trap that humanity be the center of the throne. That's why this has to be said out loud. I mean, we make jokes about this. Like, there's instructions on your shampoo bottle, right? Not to drink it and stuff like that. Have you ever once looked at your shampoo and been like, ooh, I'll bet that, I'll bet this tastes phenomenal. Okay, remember the Tide Pod Challenge was a thing, people. Okay. I mean, this is, this is the insanity of the world. Common sense is not common because that's what the depravity of mind leads. We have to be reminded of this. And by the way, Christian, your protection is not that you can sit back and go, well, at least I have some sense. Where have you just centered your hope? Me, my brilliance and my wisdom. Well, what happens when I trip down the stairs and suddenly I take too long to start thinking of things? what happens when I get overwhelmed and I can't come up with those brilliant arguments I've been practicing in the shower all these years? What happens when this ha- when I build myself up as the hope? I am lost. Why? Because I make a terrible God. And I make a terrible idol. And every idol makes a terrible God because what do idols do? They crush their worshipers every time. Instead, we have to anchor onto a higher standard. So go back to 1 Timothy 6. <clears throat> Flee from those things. This is after Paul's giving Timothy this lovely lovely list of things you shouldn't be doing. Flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, 
love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. In other words, Christian, how do you go out and fight the fight? With an eye towards Christ, with my foundations built on Christ, with my understandings of the word, so that as I go out, I do not go out in my wisdom or in my power, but in his And as I enter into the fight, I cannot be defeated because I rest in the only source of wisdom, in the only source of truth, in the only source of any common sense left in this world. That's the hope. Not me. Him. This is part of, again, of Solomon's baseline worldview coming to the surface. Common sense is a gift of God. Remove God. Welcome to your sinful world. Where did the common sense go? Yeah. (laughs) Common sense, the ability to think rationally, the ability to slow down and understand things are a gift from God. Remove God from the picture, his good gifts go away. Verse 4. He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. Well, yeah. Uh, I used to have a good way of putting this for my baseball players. It was called paralysis by analysis. You just think and think and think, and you spend all this time thinking, and what aren't you doing? Mm-hmm. I think it's a D.L. Moody quote where someone was complaining to him about his evangelism methods and his response was, I prefer my way of doing things to your way of doing nothing. (laughs) Which isn't always the best answer, but there are times. Because you guys, you guys, because some of you guys all love my baseball stories, I actually have a great example of this. Um, I can, there are some things in life that for whatever reason, they are just in my head and I can see them until the end of time. And this is one of those things. We were doing infield drills and I was standing in between the shortstop and the third baseman just off the outfield grass. Don't ask me why I remember that. <clears throat> and we had base runners on the bases. I had a full infield and I had one of the coaches hitting ground balls and just running drills. And in the process of this, one of my infielders on the, on the left side of the infield just airmailed the first baseman. And we had this freshman at first base. He had played in Little League. He had played middle school. So he wasn't completely green. Ball went over his head, ran to the fence, picked up the ball, turned around at the infield. One of the base runners turned second and kind of freezes. At that point, this poor freshman freezes as well because the base runner's messing with him. I had base runners on base to mess with him. And this kid's got the ball. And he's doing this thing that kids... He's due, and they start, there's one instruction you do in this position. You run the ball into the infield. You hold the ball high in the air so that everybody can see it, and you run to the middle of the infield. Make the runner pick a play, and then you know what to do. You don't just stand there and do this number. Well, he's standing there holding the ball, and I yell at him, run it in. Run it in. Run it in. Run the ball in. Run it in. And he's just standing there, frozen, looking at the runner, Looking at me, looking at the runner, looking at me. I, at this point, I'm holding a glove in case my coach messes up and hits it at me so I can defend myself. I throw my glove on the ground, and I'm yelling at the top of my lungs, run the ball in, run it to the pitcher. And this poor kid is just... I have to go across the field, grab him, 
run the ball in. And I walk into the middle of the infield together. I didn't know what to do. Do what I tell you. That is paralysis by analysis. That is what is here. You spend so much time worrying about something that might happen that you just can't do the simple things. Now stop. The reason why this is important is that is what the world tries to do to you. That is what sin tries to accomplish in your world. Throw all the information at you. Throw all the questions. Throw all the advice and all of the opinions and you're just, I don't know what to do. Why do we tell them to run it in? It simplifies the process. You, if you ever see this in a baseball game, you'll, you'll hear somebody, you'll hear announcers and coaches do this all the time. Always make a big deal out about getting a base runner stuck between the bases. You get somebody caught in a rundown. They're the simplest things in the world to teach and the simplest things in the world to defend. Any base runner in a rundown should be out simply. You take the ball in your hand, you hold it high so everybody can see it, and you run at the runner. You run right at him. If I run at him, eventually, if he doesn't move, what's going to happen? I'm going to tag him and he's going to be out or he's got to do what? The reason why I do this, he's got to pick a direction. Once he picks a direction, now I throw and now he's out. Now you do that because you simplify the process for the fielder. You simplify the process for everybody involved. Christian, this is why biblical wisdom tells you to slow down and to be patient and to evaluate and to be anchored in God. It simplifies the process. It slows down the Rapid fire assaults. It prevents this, seeing all the iniquity, all the sin of the world, everything flying around going, I want to attack this and I'm going to go get that. And then, and you do that. And what have you accomplished? You spend a good day chasing your tail. Have you ever seen the dog chase his tail around? The best part is I have a dog who's just big enough. He can actually catch it. The best part is he will catch it and then stop. It's like, I don't know what to do next. Like, it's, he's never planned for this outcome. And he will just stand there, and then he'll just walk himself over to the couch and sit down on it. Like, and he just sits there and holds his tail in his mouth. Like, I don't know. I, he's lost. I never knew what was going to happen when I actually got it. This is what you do in the world. We chase after everything, and then you finally get a hold of something. And that's why all those arguments you've planned for years, and all those scriptures just go out of your head. Because you finally got it, but you didn't know what you actually got. Because you weren't paying attention. You weren't listening. And now, yeah. the, but the other proverb on that is, this is what happens when you get the tiger by the tail. Yeah, I got it. Wait a minute, I got it. <laughs> Cameron did this years ago, fishing with her dad and her brother. She was trying to catch a cricket for bait. And Cameron, who loves bugs, just her favorite thing on the planet, caught a cricket. She goes, oh, I got it. Oh, I got it. It's moving. It's moving. It's moving. Somebody take this. Somebody take this. <laughs> it didn't dawn her that once she had it in her hand, it wasn't just going to sit still and be like, oh, you've caught me. I will, I will now be fed to the fish. No, it was like, let me out. Let me out. And she's standing there like, it's moving. It's moving. It's moving. It's moving. It's moving. <laughs> this is what we do. <sighs> Wherever the tree falls. That's where it lies. If you spend all your time chasing the world, you won't actually be anchored where you're supposed to be. Let the world go. Let them run. Let them have their fights. Let them have their arguments. Be anchored on the truth and be able to proclaim from a position of wisdom and patience and strength that is found in Christ what is true and right and good. And all of that matters for verse 5. Just as you do not know the path of the wind... Or how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And I don't care. I'm not going to waste any of my time going, 
<sighs> wonder why God cursed those people over there. I wonder why God sent that disaster over there. I don't know, and I don't care. I have enough problems to deal with in my world. I will evaluate what is going on in my life according to the wisdom that God has given me with the truth that I know of who Christ is and what he has done for me in mind. And I will therefore live my life not in an attempt to prevent the next catastrophe or prevent the next sin, but in dealing with who I am, where I am, right now. Micah 6.8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Do me a favor. Just work on that this week. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Every minute of every day, let me know how that works out for you. Let me know if you're busy. <laughs> let me know if your day is filled trying to knock out those things. That's the Christian walk. That's what it looks like to be anchored, is to make sure you're bringing every thought captive to the word of Christ, as Peter reminds you, to make sure that you are fighting the good fight, as Paul tells you, to make sure you are keeping the main thing the main thing, to make sure that your citizenship is in heaven and not in this world. Just handle that. Tell me you don't have time to testify to his goodness when things go crazy. Tell me you don't have opportunity to point the insanity of the world in the right direction. And tell me you're not exhausted at the end of each and every day as you are warring against your flesh and your sin each and every time. I think you'll have plenty to do and it'll be all right. All right. So we'll check back in next week. Sound good? <laughs> At the end of the, uh, the parable that Jesus tells with the, the rich man and Lazarus, I didn't have space on my page to, to write down the whole thing. It's in Luke, Luke 16. Read Luke 16. It'll do you very good. Remember, this is the complaint of the rich man who has been sent into judgment. No, 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 no. Send Lazarus back from the dead. If I have brothers and they're in need, and if someone comes from the dead, surely they'll listen to that. What was the response? Listen to Moses and the prophets. But no, 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 no. Send Lazarus. No, no, no. If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. Keep in mind, Moses and the prophets is the shorthand way of saying the Bible of the day, which is our Old Testament. If they won't listen to God's word, I can bring back somebody from the dead and plop them in the living room. You know what they're going to say? Ah, it'll be fine. It's some prophecy because Jesus does come back. And they said what? No, no, no. This, oh, I shouldn't go here, but I'm going to. <laughs> If you want to know what the depravity of mind looks like, we've talked about this before, but it's been a while. So keep in mind that the swoon theory of the resurrection is an actual thing. Okay. You're going to love this. If you don't remember this, some of you are nodding and going, oh my goodness. Yes, 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 yes. If you don't know the details on this. Okay. The swoon theory of the resurrection is this. They crucified Jesus, you know, the nail through the wrist, nail through the Achilles, you know, spear in the side, you know, which that all felt lovely. But Jesus wasn't dead yet. Okay? So they take him down, they wrap him up, they put him in, you know, what is always awesome for convalescing open sores and wounds, which is a dark underground tomb. Because when I think cleanliness for my wounds, I think moldy cave. Don't you? <laughs> That's why we traditionally build hospitals in them, right? <laughs> Some of you are like, hey, hey, have you seen the doctor's offices I go to? No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So wrapped in the, 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 the funeral clothes, stuck on the slab, rock sealed up in that condition... Jesus, who wasn't dead yet, was able to relax, 
was able to rest and regain his strength because that's how it works. He is then, after a few hours, able to kind of wake up, take off the funeral clothes, move the stone out of the way with, you know, gaping holes in ribs, wrists, and ankles, and, you know, hobble off somewhere and go walk seven miles to Emmaus. That's the swoon theory of of the resurrection. See, you're laughing, and you should be laughing because it's ridiculous. People with PhDs and, you know, philosophy degrees have sat there and go, yes, yes, that's what happened. That's how it went down. That's, Christian, what depravity of mind would look like. They won't listen to Moses and the prophets. They will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. You're going, well, how could they deny it? Enter the swoon theory. (laughs) Yes, because it was that lovely, cool, moist air of the tomb that just, like, zapped him back to life. It's like a bad comic book movie or something. This is why I tell you to slow down. This is why I tell you to think and to evaluate and to not chase after everything. There are times in this world, this is again the wisdom of Proverbs. That's why I haven't taken it out of the bulletin yet. I try to replace the, uh, the little reminder verse every few weeks, but I've left it there because it's just, it's too good. The um, do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him in his foolishness. And I'm paraphrasing. Or you, and then the very next verse is answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. See, you hear something like the swoon theory and you go, that's so ridiculous, I cannot allow that to go unchallenged. So part of me goes, that is so ridiculous, I want you to keep saying it over and over and over again. I want you to keep teaching that to as many people as possible, just so that I can find out who are the people that aren't worth arguing with. Because if you're willing to believe that, I can't help you. It's my example, like if I give you directions to the church, I will jokingly tell you, if you get to Linden Road, just drive the length of Linden Road, and if you miss us, there's no hope for you anyway. Because if you drive down Linden Road, can you miss this building? No, I mean, and I'm only mostly kidding. I, I did that. I did directions like that for a friend of mine years ago to our um, to our home church because there are there's an intersection right on the corner. The church is built on a corner of this wide open country intersection, and you cannot miss it. If you come from three of the directions, you will come with your eyes looking straight at this massive um, 45, 50 foot high steeple on the outside with a, a 300 seat sanctuary and Sunday school classes two stories down with office space and, and a fellowship hall. I mean, you can't, if you come from three directions, you're coming right at it. You can't miss it. If you come from the fourth direction, you might miss it, but all of a sudden you will go from trees to wide open space in this massive building right here. So I, I, I jokingly told him, it's like, if you're coming, if you get to that intersection and you miss it, just go home because, you know, don't worry about it. It's not worth it. And he came down from the one way where he wasn't coming right to it. And he jokingly, he, he joked because he missed the intersection because he got to the clearinghouse and he's like, oh, it's right there. By the time he realized that, he was too far past to make the turn, so he had to go turn around. But you can't miss it. That's what biblical wisdom is supposed to be in the world. If you're unwilling to even pay attention to the common, simple stuff, you are so lost in your depravity that you don't want to hear. This is why Jesus tells you, shake the dust off from your feet. There are some people you can't win over. Now again, I don't know where that line is for the person you're talking to. You have to figure that out. But figure it out not with your pride in mind, and not with your anger in mind, because both of those things will lead you in the wrong direction. Your pride will tell you, no, 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 no. If I just keep hammering this door, what will eventually happen? Eventually it'll come down. It's that, what's up, the Shawshank Redemption where he dug out of prison with a spoon? It's like, it took him 25 years, but I made it. Maybe you will, maybe you won't, but don't do it in your pride. Do it because you're honoring God and testifying to the truth. Likewise, don't 
give up the argument in your anger. You know what? I've told you and you don't want to listen to me and I'm not doing this anymore. Well, stop. That's not the right attitude either. That's about you. Maybe you do have to do it one more time. You have to figure out where that line is. Make sure you do it with what? Right foundations, right anchor points so that it's not about you, but it's about God and the testimony to him. So with that said, verse six, sow your seed in the morning and do not be idle in the evening for you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will be good. This is an easy one. I like these. In other words, work. Why? I mean, come on, it's 2023. I thought UBI was just around the corner. Come on, we're going to have our socialist utopia and universal basic income. And as soon as Elon figures out how to launch enough people to Mars and, and we get the robots to do all our jobs, they can just pay me to sit on my butt, right? Yeah, no. Probably not going to happen. Why not? Remember that while in English work may be a four-letter word, it is not proverbially a four-letter word, okay? It may feel like it some days, but it's not supposed to be. Genesis 2, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. Now, yes, the Garden of Eden was perfect. Yes, it was glorious. And yes, that work was easy. But getting up every day and cultivating a garden and keeping up with it is still, even when there are no weeds, work, right? Now, Let's, let's do some logic chain here. You ready? Everything before Genesis 3 is before sin. Is Genesis 2 before Genesis 3? Okay. Yes. <laughs> I knew that. If Genesis 2 is before Genesis 3, then Genesis 2 is before sin. And if Genesis 2 is before sin, then work is in the creation before sin is in the creation. You ever sat around for too long? It's actually kind of miserable, isn't it? You're like, I got to go do something. That's, um, our joke is always from the Muppet Treasure Island. We got cabin fever. We got cabin. It's driving me insane. That's what happens. Why, why is that a thing for humanity? This, the, go read, if you ever want to have some fun on this, go read about some of the wagon trains and some of the settlers going out west during the 19th century. And you'll see stories like this where they're, they'll take the wrong mountain pass like in November and be stuck in the, in, the, in the Sierra Nevada mountains with like feet of snow. And they got to build these little hovels to survive the winter. And they're, they're ready to kill each other by the end of the winter if they survived. Why? Because it's like eight people in this like four by four hut just and you'll have people like i'm going for a walk there's eight feet of snow outside and your shoes are falling apart i don't care and you'll hear these stories where people like people like the, um, the, the donner party is a great example of this because they were actually separate camps in the donner party because they were so aggravated with each other and whose fault it was that they couldn't cross over and whose fault it was they couldn't get rescued that they would set up different campsites just to get away from each other because i can't i know one thing i may freeze to death over there but i will freeze to death away from you we're just not meant to be holed up this is part this is part of our design and part theology. So we've covered this numerous times, the, uh, the Puritan theology of vocation. Your work is not meant to be drudgery. It is meant to be Genesis 2. It is meant to be an offering unto God. And you, a redeemed Christian, seeing the world rightly, on the right foundation, are supposed to therefore look at your work, not the way that the world does, but the way that Scripture would have it to be. You are supposed to be redeeming your work. And by the way, that's regardless of what your work is right now. So if you got a nine to five or you got an eight to eight or whatever your time frame is, you do that as an offering unto God. If you are retired, I guarantee you have some hobbies. Humanity loves hobbies. 
you're supposed to actually still be engaged in these things unto the glory of God. You're still breathing. You're supposed to still be discipling, supposed to still be testifying, supposed to still be encouraging, and you're supposed to be doing those things unto the glory of God. You got to retire unto the glory of God. You didn't get to retire, so you sit on a beach in Boca and be like, ah, I will stare at these waves until God calls me home. That's not how it's supposed to work. You're supposed to be discipling and investing and building into the next generation of the kingdom unto the glory of God. This is part of the theology. The other part of this is just plain old design. And it's part of the common sense of how we are. That's why Paul can apply it like he does in things like Second Thessalonians 3. You try to talk as fast as I do and say Second Thessalonians. <sighs> Sorry. You yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. Because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to do this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion, to eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. This is one of those things, again, you talk about what gets lost in a depraved world, lived, lived, lived in by people with depraved minds. How many times have you looked at our social system and just thought, these people have no shame? Like, I would be embarrassed to have to ask for something. I would be embarrassed by this. You have a different foundation. What happens when you ask enough times and you ask often enough and often enough and often enough? What eventually leaves? Shame. This is what they mean when they talk about searing the conscience, engaging in the depravity of mind. I am sure at some point in your life, you have some sort of sin area that you have indulged. I don't know what it is. And you know what? Unless you really, really, really have to tell me, I don't want to know what it is. Okay. Deal with it. Kill it. Let's move forward. If you need help, then we'll talk. But I guarantee you, you did not get that addiction. You did not get that love of sin by one time. You didn't be like, oh, yeah, no, that was wonderful. Yes, I, I love that. We'll never touch it again, but I love that. No, you did what? You went back to it, and you went back to it, and then you went back to it, and then you were like, no, no, I don't need to keep going back to that. So here, I'll put some hedges around myself so I won't go back to it, and then you went around the hedges, and you went back to it, and then you built the hedges a little bit higher, and then you were like, and then you went back to it, and you came away, and you went back to it. Eventually, you stopped building the hedge, didn't you? You stopped worrying about it. Why? Because what did you tell yourself? Now you get to the point where what is it? It's not that big a deal. It's okay. I like this one. This one's fun. This is, this, is my, this is my favorite. This is what the searing of the conscience looks like. This is what the depravity of mind leads you to. This is why you have to evaluate all the things all the time. Again, Christian, you can't evaluate all the things all the time. So what can you evaluate right now? I can deal with the thing right now. So when you're going around that hedge, or when you're just indulging yourself because you've told yourself it's okay, you know what you really know in the back of your mind, don't you? You know it, and I know it, and you know that I know that you know that it's not okay. Kill it. Enjoy the fight. Why? Because you have the righteousness of Christ. How? I have the wisdom of Scripture. I can take my time, built on the foundation, and I know that it is that which has been crucified, not I. 
It is that for which Christ has died and is that from which he has set me free. And I can rejoice in that. It's not drudgery to go to war against my sin. It's a joy in Christ because I can recognize that God killed you. See, I don't kill it with fire. It's already dead. I just get to cook it. It's fun. Like, there can't, I can't be the only pyro in this church. Don't you guys just enjoy like watching something burn on occasion? <laughs> All right, I got a fist pump in the back from the, yes. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Ever since I look, that's what it is. It's childhood memories. My parents had this big wood-burning stove when I was a kid, and it had one of those slides where you could, you loaded the wood from the side, but it had a glass front. You could open it up and see the fire once it was going. That was always fascinating, because the thing was taller than I was when I was little. So you'd open it up, and it's just like, woo, and there'd be little swirls, and it'd be fascinating. The log goes in, and then like 45 minutes later, it's gone. (laughs) So even to this day, you have a bonfire, you know, burn some cardboard in the backyard. It's like, ooh, and you just sit here and stare at it. I don't know why. So I enjoy watching the sin burn. Learn to enjoy watching it burn. It's fun. <laughs> All right, bad example. We'll keep moving. Uh, what verse are we on? <laughs> verse 7. The light is pleasant, and it is good for the eyes to see the sun. Yes. And by the way, that's regardless of what your teenagers think. I can't be the only person that did that phase too where the curtains were closed and they like didn't open for weeks at a time. I, I did that. Danny was, okay, some of you were grinning, be like, yes, yes, we went through the mini goth phase as well. Parents would come in there, why is it so dark in here? And then you go through the phase. Where, <laughs> yes, you have to see the sun. If you, um, if you want to put it another way, it's the joke we tell the kids to go outside. You need to go outside and touch grass. Why is this important? Well, this is the same reason we all pick on engineers. Why do we all pick on engineers? Because when you ever, if you ever see a piece of machinery or you get in your car and be like, now why did they put that switch there? I can't reach it. It's not, it doesn't make sense. Like I have to take my eyes off the road to touch it. Why is it there? Because an engineer looked at the car and said, ooh, this is the perfect place and it should go right here. And the engineer didn't care about how far your arm could reach or how big your dashboard was or how far away the seat was. He didn't care about any of that. He cared that the button should go right there. The good engineers do what? Put the button there and then sit in the car and go, oh, we've made a mistake. (laughs) We have done a terrible thing and it must be undone. Instead, you buy the car and go, why would they do that? That's why you have to recognize that the light is pleasant. It is good for the eyes to see the sun. It is good to pay attention to the world. Now, in the other part of this, Christian, it's good to be reminded of a couple of things. Number one, the world is big. It's very, very good for you to be reminded about how big the world is. I try to not let this go. We are just far enough west. See, I'm, okay. I am from Connecticut, and then I lived for 10 years, give or take, in Connecticut, and then 25 years, give or take, in North Carolina. We'll just round it off. There are trees everywhere. There is no such thing as just like an open landscape anywhere. Like two, three acres of a field being wide open is a big space. Like you find a 40, 50 acre field and that's a large wide open space. It was fun to me the first time to kind of drive out this, because I've driven out west of Texas and saw this, but it was fun to drive out here and it's fun to live here for the simple fact that it's open. And every so often I still remind myself of this. You should too. I go outside and go, man, that's a lot of sky. Especially on a nice summer day or even a winter day when the sun is shining and there's not a lot of clouds. You just get those few little wispy clouds. It's just like, that's just, it's, it's, big. It's lots of it. You need that because you know what it reminds you of? It's big and I'm not. Now stop. God made that. That is little 
to him. Oh, God is big. That's good news. I need to be reminded of that. Not only is he big, but he's given me good blessings. Go stand outside on a winter day when the sun is hitting you just right. And it's like, oh, that feels so nice. It's warm. Or my favorite is you get these miserable hot days where it's just miserable hot for two, three days in a row. And then all of a sudden the front will come through. And all of a sudden you'll be 90 to 95 degrees and you get that 70 mile, 70 degree breeze coming through. And it's like, oh, go stand out in the yard and just do this. I have Cameron will vouch. <laughs> I am Julie Andrews, you know. Because <laughs> it's like, it's not hot anymore. Because I start sweating at about 70. So for those of you that are really comfortable in here right now, I am drenched, okay? <laughs> That's just me. So when, when it's 90 outside, I'm just miserable. And then that cool breeze comes in. It's just like, ah, <gasps> those are blessings of God. You need that. You need to take joy in the simple things of life. It's part of the way you anchor yourself is seeing the goodness and mercies of God in simple, everyday things to be reminded of the good world that he has given. Because when you see that, you can then go, okay, but my good world isn't always good. Yes, but that's the corruption. That's the sin. That is being undone by Christ. And I can rest in these good things because I know there's coming a world where it's just going to be the good stuff. So yes, all of you hot weather people, it'll be 97 and miserable for you. And it'll be nice and breezy and 65 for me, okay? So just, just, you just stay out of my climate and I'll stay out of yours. <laughs> verse, uh, verse 8. Indeed, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice in them all and let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything that is to come will be futility. You know, yes, yes, no. <laughs> yes, rejoice in God. Yes, remember the evils of the world and be wise. No, it is not all futility. There's the worldly look at things coming in. Again, look at from the world. What do you end up with? Emptiness. Futility, vanity, meaninglessness, nothing of substance. Instead, you should have Psalm 111. The works of his hands are truth and justice. All his precepts are sure. They are upheld forever and ever. They are performed in truth and uprightness. He has sent redemption to his people. He has ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. That's not futility. That's not emptiness. That's not meaninglessness. That's hope. That's security. That's a recognition of who God is, what he has done for us in Christ, and what that means going forward. It means that the sin is dead. It means that the corruption will be undone. It means that my pathway to his eternal kingdom is secure. Why should I think of this life as futile in that light? With all of that knowledge, why should I look at the world and go, it doesn't matter what I do? What do you mean it doesn't matter? It matters eternally. And that's the perspective that I have to have. Forever fighting. Because again, what's the pull from the world? There's all this stuff flying around. It's always trying to distract you. It's trying to get you to go along so that you will do what? Enter into that futility. Come to the depravity of our minds with us. You know, oh, I'm thinking bad horror movies. It's basically, we'll all float down here. Yay, everything will be wonderful. No, no, no. Don't go... Do you ever wonder how messed up the mind of Stephen King was that he thought children would be like, oh, look, there's a creepy clown in the sewer. We should go in there. <laughs> like, I was smarter than that when I was a kid. Like, if you gave us creepy clown in the sewer, be like, hey, guys, hey, bring me that stick. <laughs> We'd have done that just for sport. <laughs> Much less that he's creepy clown in the sewer trying to lure my little brother in there. I mean, come on. 
Yeah, nobody's buying that one. Nobody in a million years is buying that one. Sorry. And if you thought that was a good plan, I'm sorry. There's no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not. I'm not signing up for that one. That's a bad plan. The world's plan isn't any better. It's the same argument. The world's argument is, hey, forget God. Hurry up, speed up, live in the depravity of your mind like we do. Enjoy the anxiety and the destruction and the corruption that it will bring. Forget every good and perfect gift that has come from above, and everything will be wonderful, right? No, again, where's that pointy stick again, right? That's the attitude you should have. Verse 9. Oh, I forgot about this verse. <sighs> Rejoice, young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of, your, of young manhood. Okay. I'll go with that. See the previous section, right? Rejoice in God, all the good things. And follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. Okay. Would any of you over the age of 30 in this room give that advice to your sons, grandsons, nephews? <laughs> yes, young man, do as your heart desires. <laughs> Every older man in this room is immediately going, don't do that. Because <laughs> we all know what? We all know what every young man's heart was desiring. And no, 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 don't, do not go down that road. Do not just, do, do not give in. Now, it gets better, but remember the why here. Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful more than anything else, and it is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Remember that that is what the world forgets. That's part of the lie. Is it, no, 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 no. You're good. Your impulses are good. Your desires are good. The problem is those evil people that want to stop you from getting the good things you want in life. There's what the world forgets. That's why they would give you this advice. Yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. Yes. By the way, the world also forgets that part too. They forget that every single time. And by the way, this is one of those times where I can't give Solomon the credit. And I'm not going to. Solomon is the wisest man who has ever lived. He has been gifted wisdom from God on high. He has written Proverbs. He has written Ecclesiastes. He has done all of these things. He is the guy who can look at the world and evaluate it. He's also the guy that, that broke like half the commandments. And as he's looked at the world to evaluate it, has forgotten half of his wisdom. But on this one, he listened to his dad. Even the smart guy listened to his elders. Psalm 139, one of the Psalms of David. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. That's the anchor that you're supposed to have, not just following over. But again, remember, for every person in the world tells you to follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes, it's the same person trying to get you to not pay attention to that. God's going to judge you for that. But, you know, in the meantime, it'll be fun. What does it matter? This, again, Christian, is why you have to have a better anchor, a better rest, and a better perspective. Verse 10. So, remove grief and anger from your heart. Put away pain from your body, because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. Yes. Yes, they are. Always remember, lesson of life, what is the leading cause of injury in old men? They're forgetting that they are old men. <laughs> you have all had a moment as you have gotten a little bit older and gone, ooh, I can't do that anymore. <laughs> or, I grew up playing every sport that I could play and doing that. And then I got a period of my life where I didn't get a chance to play anything for several years in a row and then picked up some softball again. Went out to this softball field and played for about two straight hours, running around, taking ground balls, hitting, running bases. 
Didn't think anything of it. I was 36. Woke up the next morning. I could not move. I, I got out of bed and went, oh, okay. Like, I'm neck, shoulders, back. Like, my, my fingers hurt. I didn't know I could hurt them. <laughs> I walked like this into the bathroom because nothing wanted to bend. Took four ibuprofen. <laughs> got in a hot shower. Ate some breakfast, took four more ibuprofen. By mid-morning, it was like, okay, as long as I don't stop moving, I can keep moving. And then realize I know what I need to do, and I need to do it quickly. I need to get back to a softball field and do all of those things again now because i got to move. And then got back into the thing of swing of things. I didn't do that when I was 14. Like, I didn't have to think about, like, is this going to damage me tomorrow? No, we'll go play football today. We'll go swimming today. We'll go play baseball today. We'll go ride our bikes today. Yeah. Life is fleeting. That's why I don't trust in it. The blessings of youth. What's the quote? The, 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 the blessings of youth are tragically wasted on the youth. They are fleeting, and they're supposed to be. That's why you wake up and your back hurts. That's why you wake up and you have soreness. That's why you wake up and you have to put your glasses on. Because all of a sudden, you woke up and it's like, wait a minute, hang on, what's going on here? And you'd start doing this, and you'd be like, why do I have headaches all day? Oh, I don't know, because you spend your whole day with your, uh, with your eyebrows trying to touch your top lip. Maybe that would explain why you have a headache all morning. So put your glasses on and stop. And by the way, what do we all do when we get glasses? Not wear them. Because we don't want people to see us with our glasses, so we still keep giving ourselves headaches until we make something worse. And then by the second pair of glasses, then you're like, okay, I will, I will surrender and wear them. If you don't believe me, give somebody a cane for the first time. And you know what you'll find all over the house? Their cane. My grandmother used a cane for 20 years of my adult life, and she would still try to leave it places. Came home one day and found it in the driveway. Pulled into an empty driveway, and there's this cane sitting in the middle of the driveway. I'm like, oh, I know how that happened. She got in the car and left the cane there, and my grandfather shut her door for her because she couldn't reach to shut the door anymore. So he shut the door, got in the car, left the cane, and drove off. And so I grabbed it, put it in the kitchen, and she, when they got home, oh, that's where I left it. Oh, no, that's not where you left it. I often wonder, when you got out of the car at the grocery store, what was your first thought? Because my entire life that I remember, my grandmother walked like this. That's why I laughed one day when she looked at my mother and go, I need to pick up a couple of things. Will you take me to the store? You don't have to go in. Just pull up to the front. I'll hop out and run in. <laughs> my mother actually said, I want to see that. <laughs> you haven't run since the 70s. <laughs> that got my mother the look, which was worth it also. But <laughs> and then we took her to the grocery store. We weren't that bad. Fleeting. We will all slowly break down. We will all get a little bit weaker. We will all get a little bit beat down until God calls us home or until the kingdom comes and then we don't have to worry about it anymore. And Christian, that's where you have to be remember, reminded of your final rest. It's not in this place and it's not in your strength. 1 Corinthians 15, we did this at Easter, but it's a good reminder. I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. That's us now in the breakdown. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we, we, we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and when this 
And this will have, and this mortal will have put on immortality. If I could read and not stutter, it would be all set. Then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. It can't be in vain. Why? Because the foundation is Christ who has granted us victory. Why? Because he is victorious. He has overcome. He has conquered the depravity. He has conquered the sin. He has taken away the iniquity, nailed it to the cross, and presented us before God, blameless and holy in his sight. And then he has put us to work in his kingdom and said, you have everything that you need. You have everything that you need to know. Now go. And we like to look at it and go, no, 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 I don't want to do that. Stop it. We have what we need. We know what we are to do. Christian, this is the hope of our world. And by the way, I remind you of this. I'm going to fight it. I'm going to fight it. I remind you of this because this is the action for your now. This is how you fight the good fight now. This is how you remain faithful now. Who are you? I'm a child of the king. Why? Because he has died and granted me his righteousness. So what? Well, I have a dwelling in his kingdom. I have a room in his house. I have security for all that he is and all that he has done. And it cannot be taken and it cannot be shaken and it will not be lost. So then the world attacks you. So what? I win. They're defeated. They are undone. And I am strengthened until the final day. Now, with all of that in mind, how do you like that little sin that you've been keeping as a pet? (laughs) How do you feel about their draw and their lie? How do you think about what they are doing to you day by day? The answer is, I don't care. I have my weapons. I have my hope. I have my security. I have everything that I need. That's the rest. That's the anchor. Let's pray.